Welcome to Running is Bullshit, I'm Stuart. And I'm Amy, and you're listening to the podcast that loves to hate running. Welcome to episode 93, and today we're talking... Oh, I don't want to say that. Oh, straight in? No? Sure. Can I say it in an Australian accent? I feel like it. I feel like it's a bit more acceptable there. Today we're talking about cunts, <laughs> chafes, colds, nagging wives, naked people, and a fabulous guest to tell us all about non-binary runners. Bit of, bit of a mixed bag to open with there. Sorry, Amy. Caught you by surprise there a little bit. Yeah, Jesus. You know what? I've read through the show notes, but I didn't notice that in there. I was like, That's the bit I was typing when you called me. So uh, I hadn't mentally prepared myself to drop the <laughs> see you next Tuesday in there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, anyway, um, good news. The humidity finally abating. Finally, the air feels like normal and has air in it rather than just water. But the problem is now I don't know what my excuse is going to be for the next few months. Because mm. it's not going to be cold enough to be too cold to run, and it's now not too warm to run, so I'm kind of stuck in the middle. I mean, it's raining a bit, so yeah, you could say about the rain, but only a tiny bit. Mm. Sometimes that's even. I know worse. we're not used to it. Yeah. yeah, I do feel like when I go out for a run now, I'm like, oh, I feel a lot fitter. Like I must be really fit, and I'm like, yeah, because it's not 100 degrees outside. That's why I feel fitter. <laughs> yeah, I've done a few of those. Are like, you know, I just felt great on that run. I look mm. back at it, and like, oh, it was downhill. That was why. Yeah, yeah. Oh, with me, it's always the weather, and then like it's the opposite. As soon as summer comes around again, I'm like, why am I so unfit? Why am I having to stop and walk all the time? It's like, oh yeah, because it's really humid and hot. Like, yeah. If anyone's got any good excuses for like September, early October running because it's, it's not too warm it's not too cold if anyone has got any excuses please let us know what they are because we will need to use them i mean you need to have kids and then you say oh the kids are back at school and it's really difficult because school yeah, runs and stuff that's not gonna be an issue we can can we be like <laughs> other people's kids are back at school and their photos on facebook made me sad so <laughs> Let's catch up with the last episode. We had a tweet, which was a quote from Amy in the last episode, that said, not all UK athletics coaches are perverts. Well, thanks, Amy. And that tweet was from Rich Skirm, who is our club's UK athletics qualified coach. I mean, technically, it's not incorrect what you said. No. No, it's not. I, I not was making not all very, of them are. I was making a very clear point, but obviously some of them are. Yeah. <laughs> As has been proven. Yeah, not no, all no. of them are. I, I would I would never I would never say they all are though. <laughs> um, moving swiftly on. At Spoonman Darren uh, on Twitter sure. says great episode again and interesting insight into race organization. Usually I feel the C bomb is overused, but those McLaren shoes definitely appropriate language. Thumbs up emoji. And we've dropped another one in straight away today, so perhaps we are overusing a little bit. I don't see it. It's just a word. It's fine. <laughs> Definitely works for those £500 shoes, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a time and a place, and that was the time and the place. <laughs> Not like the beginning of this episode. No, Jesus, no. <laughs> Jay Reese Howells says, Never wrote in before because I'm listening through your back catalogue. So currently on episode 60, but I had to skip forward today because you had Kath on. Just want to say, from a participant's point of view, she is a fantastic role model for the sport. Her and her family are always so welcoming. She was very modest in her interview, but she is so great with her community. The races really do not get the credit they deserve. They are not big, not flashy, but they are encouraging and fully inclusive. I did my first marathon back in 2019 at an Affinity event, the Bonfire Bolt in Margam. I got a massive glow-in-the-dark movable medal and loads of goodies and a packed aid station at every lap. 
What more could you need? I marshaled at one of our recent events and everyone there has the same attitude. We are all there for a run around a beautiful part of Wales and it's not about time on feet, it's about time with friends. Oh, Oh, that's lovely, Jay. (laughs) He said, keep up the great work, Kath, and your races are definitely not bullshit. You will always have the support from the ones who have run with you and I hope more people jump on board and participate if you decide to come back in the new year. P.S. Can't wait to try the spiced pumpkin tea in October. I, I, yeah, I really want to go to one of the races. Unfortunately, I can't go to the one I mentioned last time that I signed up for when I was actually on a holiday. Um, but yeah, they just sound absolutely fantastic from hearing other people talking about them and, you know, Kath herself talking about them. And especially now, you know, my usual race companies have, have shut down and disappeared. I'm looking for a new, a new smaller race company to do like loops and stuff with. So yeah. Yeah, we got to really hope I enjoy that event I'm going to. Yeah. Yeah, you better do. <laughs> God, that could be that could be really awkward otherwise. <laughs> it was shit. And Kath is this monster. Everyone makes out, she's great. But she as soon as she got there, she punched me in the face. It was horrific. I'll clip that out, thanks. <laughs> and thanks, Jay. You also brought us very nicely talking about tea into our tea update. Yay! Ooh. We are partnered with Bird and Blend Tea, whereby we tell you what teas we like, and then you go to runningsbs.com forward slash tea, you click on links, you buy the tea, and we get paid. That seems cool, right? Mm. And to sweeten the deal, use the code TEAISNOTBS at the checkout, you get some free bonfire toffee tea, uh, which is uh, one of our very favourites. Amy, what are you drinking today? I'm sticking, I still need to put my order in, you see, at Bird and Blend, mm. so I haven't got around to it. I've been procrastinating ordering my tea, so I'm stuck with my old stuff, which I'm at the moment having gingerbread chai, which is uh, very nice, very warming. It's kind of a grey, blustery day outside, so it's quite, it feels quite autumnal outside. So, mm. um, yeah, it's, it's very, very nice, very gingery, which is perfect. Caffeine you love a bit free. of ginger. Love, I do, I do. So it's been told, I love a bit of ginger. Only in small doses, though. Too much ginger, too much. Um, but yeah, so that that's my... I should try it with milk at some point. I feel the gingerbread chai would Get be around nice to it, yeah. Milk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's mine for today. I will have new teas soon, I promise. What about you? What are you drinking? I will also have new teas soon. I ordered mine about an hour ago, so I'm very happy. Um, I'm actually drinking cream egg tea, which is not available this time of year, but I've still got loads of it. But because it's September, that means, of course, everything now is going to be pumpkin flavoured for months for some reason. So obviously Bird and Blend are in on that. So you can check out runningsbs.com forward slash tea, click on the link, and you can spend two months buying Halloween things. Hey. Is that already? I don't, I don't know whether I, you know, I've never had like a pumped, pumpkin spice latte. I think it's a spice I'd more like at Starbucks or anything like that. But I think I, I'm going to try a pumpkin flavoured tea. I'm not sure whether I like, I, I'd like it or not. I'm not really, I don't think I've ever had properly eaten pumpkin. Yeah, no one eats pumpkin. No, so I'm not really sure if, if I'd like it in a tea. I think the spices, if it's got spice in it, would be really nice. But I'm not sure about like pumpkin itself. I don't even know what it tastes like. <laughs> Amy, what's your bullshit? Uh, I have a cold, you can probably tell. <laughs> Again. Again. You know what though? Like, you know when you get like those little colds just to, just a bit run down and then you get a proper cold you're like you know before that was a warm-up that was a warm-up to the proper cold now i have a full-on like summer is it still summer yeah summer full-blown cold. cold yeah full full full-on last four days and you know that horrible feeling when you wake you go to bed at night you think you know hopefully i'll feel better tomorrow and you wake up just feeling shit from the moment you open your eyes it's one of those i feel absolutely horrendous and i'm going a bit stir crazy because it's I, I tried to go out for a little walk yesterday because i was like go get some fresh air felt bloody awful so came straight back home again so i feel like I'm, I'm going a bit stir crazy as well and i feel like 
one more day of this and I'll be entering some crazy races that I have no business doing, you know? Oh, good. Yeah, that'd be great. You know, like, oh, I'm like, yeah, I'll just do Dragon's Back next year. It'll be fine. <laughs> well, why not? I feel like a good 20% of the episodes we've done, you've had a cold or been ill in some way. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you know what? <laughs> it's all that running is making you so healthy. No, I, I like... <laughs> most of the time it's just me being run down because i don't look after myself like Frey is always saying this like i just like worked hard don't get enough sleep do too much like, i just sound like it on the podcast but i do i do too much i don't rest and i just end up getting run down so that's more than more, more and then you get me nagging often. you to do more shit yeah 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 so more often than not that's what it is is me just not resting and constantly doing things although it might not sound like it but um but no, this is an actual, like, I've caught a cold from somewhere, not just me being a dick and not resting and not getting enough sleep and just, just wearing myself down to the bone. Like, no, this is actually, I, I've caught something. This is someone else's fault. This is someone else's fault. It's probably bloody, like, I went to Pride last Saturday. It's probably about the right timing. It's those dirty yeah. gays, man. <laughs> I'm avoiding that one. <laughs> I love it when I say stuff like that about like, like uh, gays or women because you just go silent. I can like, laugh yeah. along with it, but I'm, yeah. like, I'm not going to add anything more to that. Yeah, of course. To be fair though, like that's the first thing. So this is the first like. Four... I think about to fair though, they are very good. <laughs> no, to be fair, like this is the first like full blown proper cold I've had since the pandemic. Like lockdown started, obviously because I haven't been going out and haven't been interacting with people. Um, but went to Pride last Saturday, it was like heaving. It was heaving. Like it was really, it was quite overwhelming. Um, we took the dogs as well and Pippin got, <clears throat> at the beginning of the parade, there's like drummers. I think Pippin was having some sort of flashback to a previous life in the Civil War or something because she freaks <laughs> out. <laughs> she's, like, she's just like, she went great. Like we had to take her away for the parade. It was just the loud noises. Um, and there was also a really cute moment when there was this guy in like a, a dog costume, like a, a furry, like a fursuit. And she was stood on, Freya was knelt down with Finley and she was stood on Freya's back just looking at him like, what are you? Um, but yeah, it was it was absolutely packed, and I think <clears throat> I think that's why I caught it. The gays, dirty gays. <laughs> anyway, what have you been up to? <laughs> um, unfortunately, I had to miss Pride because I was in Norwich, and I've been to a few Prides before because our running club, but something we've organised the last few years, our running club is a part of Pride. Uh, we've done a run. The day before, along with one of our other running clubs here that we kind of um, pair up with, we've done a run the day before and then we've joined in the parade and we've tried to expand it from our club to kind of runners of Cardiff, runners of Wales, to let people know that running clubs generally are very inclusive places. You know, they may not always kind of say explicitly on websites and social media and things because I think, you know, people just forget to do that. They think, oh, we are very inclusive because we'll never, we'll never do anything bad. But it just helps to be a little bit more out there and a little bit more inclusive and just show that. And so we've been in the parade and done these extra runs for the last few years and already plans for next year happening i would very much suggest pride happening in your local area see if you can get in touch with them organize some kind of run the day before try and join in the parade in your running kit to let all the people know there that running clubs are nice friendly safe spaces to go definitely because there's like loads of issues around lgbtq plus people participating in sports because of like sort of mm -hmm. historic barriers and prejudice that they may have experienced 
um, in the past. So it's really important as clubs become more inclusive that we get that message out there. I did. I I, I want you to stick around and see um, the runners of Wales in the parade. But yeah, Pip, we we end up going to Butte Park instead and let yep. Pippin have a run around. She, she went absolutely mental in Butte Park, um, letting out all that stress. But yeah, we could only stay for like the first ten minutes because she was having a bit of an episode. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's a number of LGBT specific clubs around as well. Like Cardiff now has the Cardiff Foxes, and there's quite mm-hmm. a lot of clubs called Front Runners, which uh, kind of I think they're actually all over the world. So worth yeah, looking at those yeah. if you want to as well. Yeah, definitely. If not, start your own. Yeah. There you go. There's me in uh, run club mode a little bit there. Right. Let me get back into complaining about things. I was running in Norwich and it kind of struck us. We found a really lovely wood, Horsewood Woods, just north of Norwich. And we were kind of running around there for a while. And it's really beautiful. And the thing that we kind of noticed halfway around, like, it's so nice to run in a wood with no hills. Because we just don't get that here. We can't run around anywhere without having to walk up a massive hill every now and then. So we were just running for like the whole hour. It was really strange. Uh, But really, really lovely. Uh, Running with two dogs as well. Got borrowed one of my mum's dogs as well to run with us who very much enjoyed it. And also yesterday, I did a fell race back in Wales in the Brecon Beacons, the Fan Brachiniog fell race, a 15k race with 750 metres of elevation. And basically all of that was in the first 6k it was an absolutely brutal slog up to the top. But you know what? I actually really, really enjoyed it. I think it's just because we took it so slow. And the, you know, the downhills are really steep. And the person at the second checkpoint just wasn't there. But that was fine. Um, <laughs> got around towards the end. And like the last 4k or so was pretty much downhill. But on a really... It started off on a really lovely spongy path. I'd forgotten what it's like to run on wet grass. Haven't done it in months and months. It was really lovely. But then the path towards the bottom gets really, really rocky and just so difficult to run down. But I actually felt good at that point. So I think because we'd run so badly and the rest of it. I was running with Holly. Um, we'd run so slowly the rest of it. <laughs> no, no, not because of that. Just because we, we'd run together. I said we. So I was explaining the context behind we. Sharp. Um, so, yeah, the last four or five K, I felt really good. So I just kind of took off a little bit because there was a guy way ahead. And it, this is not a humble brag in any way. It's just straight out brag. He was way ahead. And I'd already given up. I, you know, you look at someone, you think, yeah, I'm not going to overtake anyone now. And then I thought, you know what? I think I'm starting to pull him in a little bit. Went for it and uh, overtook him. Very, very happy about that. Wow. Slight gripe I have. Very narrow paths. Very difficult, technical, narrow paths. I'd caught this guy and then <clears throat> and then the next guy. I caught them up kind of quite quickly, got behind them and was right behind them. Didn't get out of my way. Now I know, technically, it's their right to run their own line to run they don't have to get out of my way yeah and it's it's up to me to find somewhere to overtake but i was you know if the no one is behind you in a race for miles all of a sudden they turn up and they're right on your heels just step out of the way yeah yeah yeah, come on again i know it's your right you can hold your own line if you think you can make a race of it fine and i didn't want to say sorry can i get past because i think i don't want someone kicking off of me but i just thought you know, they're going to step out of the way at some point. Eventually, we got to, like, the path widened out, basically, because you had to go through a stream. And I just had to run through a stream and around some, you know, really slippery rocks, just take a real risk to get past him. And as soon as I got past him, 10 seconds, I dropped him completely. So I'm like, mm, should have let me go. Mm. So that was satisfying that I got away from them. Or was it just a little annoying? Couldn't get past them. But never mind. Never mind. I mean, if you're not going to place, I don't understand the point of blocking someone. If you're going to place, like if you're in like second, first, second, third place, you know, you're not, of course, you're not going to let someone no, just pass we were you. Like, but we were like 30th out. Yeah. Like just step to one side. Just Jesus. let me through. Chill. What I did like about the race, the winner was Megan Carter Davis, who is the world orienteering champion. she just rocked up because we were looking up the hill and we could see you know way up ahead of us when it started we were walking they were running 
And we could see her like, oh, that's a woman up the front. That's amazing. Yeah, world orienteering champion, rocking up at the 15K fell race. Love that kind of thing. And at the end, uh, we did get a chat with uh, the guy who finished fourth, which was Matt O'Keefe, who we've had on the podcast before. Third place at the Dragon's Back. Lovely, lovely boy. Um, He went a completely different way to everyone else, which was quite (laughs) interesting. Because it was a checkpoint race. So it was an open, you know, open navigation. Uh, Went a different way. But he said he got to the top at the same time as the person as someone else, so it kind of seemed to work for him. Finished fourth overall. So nice to catch up with him. Also a good week for women running. Sarah Perry won the King Offers Dyke Ultra, and she was kitted out with Harrier gear, which we like to see. That was 185 miles and a bit over 60 hours with only 20 minutes sleep. There's a video of her on Facebook finishing this race and being interviewed at the end by the race director. She just looks like she's walked to the shops and jogged back. Yeah. Like half a mile. She, she looks, looks amazing. Like, <laughs> she looks like she's just got out of bed, thought, oh, I yeah. could do with a do with a packet of crisps. Went down to the shop a mile and just jogged back. It, she, she does not look like she's running she for 60 she's hours. She's got like, so she's wearing plaits, isn't she? And she's got some loose hair coming out of her plaits. That's it. That's the only yeah. evidence that she's uh, she's ran anywhere, you know. Yeah, and that is the whole of the Offers Dyke uh, Oh, route, I can't which is imagine amazing. it. Yeah, like... Well, I mentioned a few episodes back. We went on honeymoon and we were near a portion of the office dike. And they must have ran like only two or three miles of it. But it's horrible. It's horrendous. <laughs> I, I was reading like they, they had some books in the Airbnb about it. And it says, you know, some of it is more runnable. But there's only a, a few stretches of it that are like really nice and runnable. The rest is just rocks. Just ditch and rocks. <laughs> oh, gee, I can't imagine. Well, yeah. So doing all that and then looking like that at the end, I'm... Very impressed. <laughs> Good effort. Might have got the train. Mm. Our guest today is someone we've been after for months, and we finally managed to pin them down to find out about what is almost certainly the first guy to designing inclusive events for non-binary runners. So our guest today is Jake Federowski. Jake is a runner who identifies as non-binary and has written what I think is the first guide to non-binary inclusion in running. They also host a podcast called Queer by Birth, Proud by Choice, which features weekly conversations with queer folks that focus on what it means to be proud in and of their queer bodies. So Jake, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to, to be a part of the conversation. Thank you for being here. So to start off, could you just tell us a bit about your own background in running, sort of how you started, what you've been up to, things like that? Sure. Yeah, you know, when I was when I was a kid, I was put into a lot of different sports. I tried, um, you know, baseball, soccer, tennis, um, what else, swimming, I mean, all the hockey. And I never really felt you know, I never really enjoyed it. And at the time I couldn't ever really, you know, figure out or name why that was. And looking back, I realized it was because I just didn't really fit in. It wasn't a space that was really created for people who are different, right? Who are, who are queer, who are, you know, not the typical straight boy jock that you think of that go into these sports. Um, so I kind of fell in love with, with, um, with theater and with the arts and music and really dove into that passion throughout school. When I got into college then, I started to realize that I needed to, in order to stay healthy and, you know, take care of my mind and my body, I needed to, you know, get out and and do something active. And so I started doing a little bit of running. I started to do a little bit of biking, just kind of on my own, because it was an individual thing. I didn't have to worry about 
fitting into a team or into a group. And I really started to fall in love with running and, and specifically long distance running because it was a way for me to, at the time I was living in Chicago and I was able to get out and explore the city and, and you know, see the lake and see the, you know, see all the different neighborhoods in the city. Um, and like I said, it, it was such a wonderful way for me to, you know, explore on my own and not have to worry about are others are, are others going to accept me? Are they going to judge me? You know, by how I show up to to the to that practice or to that you know event that day. I just got to put on my shoes, head on out the door, and you know, go running. Um, so for a long time, running to me was just an individual activity. And when I moved to Seattle uh, just about a year and a half ago. Um, I joined the Seattle Front Runners, which is a, a club here that's for the LGBTQIA plus running and, and walking community. And for the first time, I realized that running didn't have to be an individual activity. It could be something you could do with a group, um, you know, a group that accepts you, a group that supports you, encourages you to, to reach your running goals or to reach those, those personal goals you have within the sport. Uh, so that's kind of where I was and kind of how I got into running. And now it's really just expanding upon that community, both within Seattle and, and within the, um, you know, the, the greater running industry, both in the U.S. and, and around the world. Cool. Um, so something Amy mentioned a couple of times, obviously what we're going to be talking about is that you mentioned that you are non-binary and just we're all on the same page. Can you just let us know what we're talking about when we're using that phrase? For sure. So I like to define non-binary as, um, I, it, it's, I use it as an umbrella term or it's more commonly used as an umbrella term. A lot of identities can fall underneath that. You've got non-binary, gender fluid, gender non-conforming. Um, I personally, as my identifier, use non-binary. And when I say non-binary, I mean that I identify outside of the gender binary of man and woman. Um, a lot of people will talk about how non-binary identities kind of fall either between the man-woman binary or they fall outside of the man-woman binary or even beyond and completely separate of the man-woman binary. Um, I like to just say that I identify outside of the gender binary of man and woman and that, that is what I mean when I say non-binary. Okay. Classic. So why was the non-binary inclusion guide created? You know, I was doing a lot of racing, uh, road racing with, with um, you know, with family, with the Seattle front runners. And typically when you go to register for a race, you have to select, you know, I, I am a man or I'm a woman. And then you are placed into a division based on that. And after a while, I finally had this realization of like, why am I paying money to these races to just misgender me and to put me in this really uncomfortable and honestly like unsafe situation? And I finally just, I, for the first time last fall, when I wanted to, I was registering for a marathon, uh, I, I, re I reached out to the race director and I said, hey, I really would like to run this race, but I see that you don't have a non-binary division. And at that time we were seeing um, we were seeing that like, you know, the New York uh, marathon and there was a marathon in, in Philadelphia that were starting to create these non-binary divisions. So I knew it was happening. Um, and so I, I reached out to this race director and I said, Hey, is this something you could accommodate? 
And they responded with, you know, yes, we would love to do this, but we have like, here are all these questions we have. Like, how are you gonna navigate this? How does it affect this? How does, how do the logistics have to be prepared so that you can accommodate a division like this? And I'm not a race director. I don't do this, you know, every day. So I said, those are great questions. Let me go do some research and I'll come back to you. So from there, I started to have a bunch of conversations. I had like 30 plus conversations in the span of like a month with different race, you know, related industry folks. And eventually I had all my notes written down and I realized that while I had prepared myself to go back into this conversation, in doing so, I, I had basically prepared a resource. I had written down all this information and I had the idea to let's formalize this and create a document or a resource that could be shared with race directors or with, you know, just people like me who want to go into these conversations, but don't necessarily have the, you know, the, the knowledge or the understanding. Um, and so from there, you know, I, I just kind of start putting together a little PDF and, uh, you know, worked with a bunch of different non-binary athletes and, and race directors to kind of form this, this guide so that it was, you know, accessible, that it was easy to read, that it, you know, kind of hit all of the major points. Um, obviously, there's so much work to do. You can't write it all down in one guide. I mean, that guide would be like 10,000 pages long. Um, but we got it down to a nice, I think it's like 24 pages, 20, 24 pages. And, you know, added some some design into it and incorporated, you know, some data and, and that's, that's kind of where that landed and created a website to help distribute it and got some sponsors to help with, you know, kind of, uh, um, what do you call it? Compensating, you know, myself for, for the time that I put into it, the designer that put some time into it. And now it's just out there. It's out there for free for anyone to, to, um, to read, to share at nonbinaryrunning.com. Of course, people can go and access that for free. I encourage everyone to to go and check that out. What are some of the sort of key takeaways and some of the key headlines that you could tell us? Yeah, you know, it. it how I went about creating the guide was, you know, we we split it up into before adding a div, no before adding a non-binary division. Uh, making structural changes, and then after adding a non-binary division. And all of the subsections are based off of the, the barriers or the, the challenges that I was getting from race directors. So like that race director that I mentioned, you know, the, some of the things they came back to me was like, okay, well, if you're going to add a non-binary division, that's, that means you have to have um, it's going to cost more money, right? You have to expand your budget because there are more awards and prize money. Um, it may take a little bit of money to, um, you know, expand the coding of the registration and, you know, timing and results software. Um, and to that, you know, I, I, I think that, yes, there is a little bit of a increase in, in the cost and, and, you know, preparing the logistics of this. But what I like to encourage folks to do is, by adding, by, by stepping into this work, by creating space for non-binary folks, you are becoming a leader within our industry and honestly, like within our society as a whole. And I would like to think that, you know, so much of the, of the race industry is, is focused on like sponsorships and, and, you know, kind of donations or grants or, you know, raising money for X, Y, Z. 
by adding a division like this and by showing that you're committed to this work, that opens up a whole other world of possible partnerships and sponsors from queer owned and queer operated businesses and or just companies at large who are committed to DEI efforts and, and you know creating more of a space for people who fall outside of that binary. Um, so yes, you know, there, there may be a little bit of, um, there, there, there may be a cost to do some of this work, but two things, you could, you have an opportunity to expand sponsorships. And also if you're creating this new division, that's bringing in a whole other group of people to register for your race and therefore increasing the amount of participants. So it's kind of like, sure, I hear your argument, but like, here are the solutions and, and why that argument doesn't really, you know, it doesn't really have a lot of weight because it, it kind of balances out in the end. Um, so budget was a big thing, um, you know, building out the timing and registration software and, you know, because so much of the coding right now is so binary. It's so man, woman or male, female is how they're coding it right now. Um, but we're seeing companies already do this work. I mean, New York Roadrunners did it in-house. Um, run sign up and race roster. Like there are these major companies, major, you know, um, partners within the industry that are doing this work. It, it can be done. It's not something that's like, oh, that that's impossible. We can't even, you know, approach that. No, it, it is being done. And here are the companies that have done it. So I encourage race directors to either start that work internally, if that's where they host those, those platforms or seek out, you know, run sign up or race roster, some of these other uh, companies that have done the work, if the one that you're currently working with, you know, won't do it or, you know, is, you know, not willing to, to step into that change. Um, yeah, there's a whole host of things, <laughs> um, but budget was always like a big one and, you know, identifying the participants, you know, how are we going to tell who the non-binary folks are, which I love to respond with, well, how do you know who the women are? How do you know who the men are? Um, so much of that identification is based on assumption right now, you know, oh, that person's wearing pink or, oh, that person has a ponytail. Oh, that person ran faster. Oh, you know, we, so much of how we are interacting with participants is assumption based. And I just like to encourage, you know, you have bib numbers on for a reason, you know, your bib number is how you are identified as a participant in that race. Um, that's how you identify the, you know, the different divisions or the different people within those divisions. Um, and and it, it, if that is something that is important to you and you want to make sure that you are not misgendering anyone or, you know, making assumptions, then you need to increase the volunteers that are helping read those bib numbers and communicating that to race announcers or, you know, the people holding the, the, the finish line tapes. Um, you know, it, it's very, to me, and this is my opinion, but to me, it's very simple. Like, it's not that complicated. It just takes that time to think about how we've been doing it and how we can kind of break that and, and create a more inclusive um, approach uh, to all these different things that go into, you know, hosting or, or um, you know, putting on a, a road race or a trail race or whatever sort of race it may be. What I really like about this, we've spoken to uh, a couple other people who are doing lots of work with to increase inclusion in running in all kinds of different places. And they've started from kind of right at the bottom and they've had to create the research and then they've had to go out and prove it. They've had to go out to people and say, this is what we what, want you to do. But actually what you've said there is, and in the guide, it's already happening. It's not you that's 
done this guide and has to go out kind of begging everyone to try and pay attention people like the new york marathon does it already and that's huge that you know running doesn't get much bigger than that in in the states so actually now you formalize this and what other people have done i like as well they've created research they haven't just gone in with their opinions and here's what we think you should do like here's some research backed up by people who know what they're talking about and here's all the ways you can do it it's not just we've identified a problem but we've also given you a solution and so hopefully yeah. the way you've done this now, you've given all this support and help and it, it can only improve things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, I try to push that, you know, you see these large races like New York, you know, New York city marathon, or um, it's, it's like it, we see races that are super small and local that are doing it, but then we see these really large national and even international races do it. We're, we're seeing it outside of the U S we're seeing it in Canada. We're seeing it, you know, all, all over the place it is not something that is impossible. Like this is something that has been done. It is, you know, it's proven to, to have been completed, you know, successfully. And, and I will also say the other, another big thing that people would bring up to me as well, isn't this just creating an opportunity for cis men to register in the non-binary division so that they can, you know, get an award or that they have a better chance at winning or, you know, placing in, in the race. And to that, I say, we don't, there is no evidence of this happening. There was, there has been a little, or a few incidents in, I believe it was the cycling world where they're doing some of this race or the triathlon world. Um, but within like the road running races right now that have done this work, that argument is not valid. It has not happened. And I just hope that that argument is not, I just don't want that argument to be the thing that stops people from doing this work because sure, that it may happen. It may happen occasionally, but is that the reason why we shouldn't create space for non-binary folks and people who identify outside of that binary? I mean, I, to me, it's just kind of a silly argument to, to hold yourself and your organization back from stepping into this really important work. Um, we are all learning together. We're all figuring this out as we go. Um, before this guide, like there was no, there was no rule book. There were, were no, you know, uh, strategies or, or, you know, formal communications about how to do this. And so this is our attempt at making these steps toward a more inclusive space. I think if people want to cheat, they will cheat. They will find a way to cheat regardless. Yeah, you wouldn't you feel sorry for them if they did? That's no. tragic, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it's the same argument people use about trans women want be actually being cisgendered men who want to use the women's toilet. It's like, it's not actually happening. It's never happened. If, a, if a cis guy wanted to use the women's toilet, they would find a way to do it. Exactly. You know, so. Yeah. And there'll be more from Jake later on. Now, on to Patreon. This is the bit of the podcast where we try and stop people going to patreon.com forward slash running is bullshit and donating some money every month to us it hasn't worked in a while i'll be honest but we'll keep trying so the people ignoring us this month and giving us money are andy nichols trish alton and vicky robbins uh, at i am Mattman said my first day back at work so what to do but listen to the podcast while i catch up on emails i for one enjoyed amy's rendition of the pokemon Thank theme you. last episode the duet on this episode though chef's kiss <laughs> and also just just thank you whoever last time said it was my pokemon theme was shit like you need to get your ears tested it was amazing mm. i'm still proud of it now Absolutely good you should be 
Well, let's see if Stuart can live up to all this high praise in his ongoing battle against the concept of the octave, as he tells us who's given us money this month for some reason. Bullshit. 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 Just for Pat, Newby, Andy Nichols, H. Penny, Simpson, Matthew Ward, J. Ruth, K.P., Shepherd, Andy Robbins, A. Petra, Shelton, Claire, Dina, Maria Wicks, Clark Gilmore, Len Martin, Matt Jones, Jason Spinks, Sam Wally, Darren Roberts, Hugh Phillips, Victoria Magnus, Francis Howell, Trin Benson, Matt Burrows, Matt Lee's Viola, Greb, Sherry Grubbs, Shambolic, Adolf, Bernadette, McCarthy, Karen, Blake, Gabby, Thomas, Nay, Elisa Gibbon, Vicky Robbins, Matt H, Karen Hamilton, Stuart Stevens, Greg Collins, Ivor Hewitt, David Owen, Anthony Howe, Ian Thompson, McGana, Raymond Queen. Hibbert, Carl Fleming, Max McCarty, Charlie Neverson, Adam Atkinson, Debbie Hurley, Julia Page, Amanda E. Hernandez, Gail Seal, Majesiorski, Ian Hales, Rachel Bentley, Victoria Dick, The Woodridge Skirm, Edit Lionel Denton, Cassie Jones, Sophie Nichols, Kath Everard, Rachel Bullmore, Carl Ryder, Nikki Genders, Drew Edwards, Amanda Murray Hind, Brian Simpson, McGordy Thelwell, Matt Caffin, Jonathan Carter, Liz Sherban, Liz Reese, Sophie Jakes, Angela Foster Swales, Martin Kaplan. And I would have taken Amy's comment as a real harsh dig there, but I wrote it myself, so I think it's fair. <laughs> On to your messages. Don't forget to get in touch with your running bullshit on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just search Running is BS, tag us in your shit, and let us know why you particularly hate running this week. Someone who did that is Brooksy Bradshaw, who said, For today's long run, 31k, I hate myself, I listen to Running is BS. And if you've never tuned in, you must. I feel that's more for people on Twitter than you people listening, because you're <laughs> listening. I feel like I've got a kindred spirit in Amy, especially in how we respond to people who take up the entire path. Running truly is bullshit. So are expensive sports bras. Oh, mate. Like, you know, people who take up the whole path, but especially if you're on a long run, like, gee, oh, mate. On a long run, that's when I, I, I will actually put my thoughts into action because I'm not pissing about then, you know? You will shoulder check some bitches. I, I, on a long run, yes. If I'm out for a shorter run, I'll just rage in my head and I'll walk out into the road, into oncoming traffic and go around them. On a long run, I ain't moving. I, that is my line. That is, you know, my way. All right, Tony Goodwin says, Morning, running on sand is BS. Went for a three-mile barefoot beach run while on holiday in Mallorca last week and as a big storm had pushed lots of jellyfish into the bay so not able to swim or snorkel. Achilles still hurts. Gosh, I bet. <laughs> and what did you expect? You went for a three-mile barefoot beach run? Because yeah. it looks cool on Instagram, but if you do it yourself, you realise that's awful. That's a horrible thing to do. Yeah, yeah, because you're either like, it's either that really soft sand where you're sinking into it all the time, which I'm assuming is why your Achilles hurts, or it's that really hard sand that actually really hurts. <laughs> yeah. And also, if there's jellyfish all in the bay, there's going to be jellyfish on the beach. you got to wear some shoes, mate. <laughs> when I first read this and it says Achilles still hurts, I thought, 
what from being stung by a shit covered in jellyfish that's, yeah. that's what i assume when i first read it through and i'm like oh yeah the sand the sand <laughs> We've also had an email from Alice Newstead who says, Hi both, medium time listener, first time contactor. Think the podcast is great, etc. <laughs> great, thanks. Yeah, get that out of the way. Yeah, etc. Cetera, et cetera, you know what, you know. Um, I was listening to your chat on chafing and last week's email about the bra chafe and thought I would share my chafing story from this April. Context that I am thick thighed and have worn through the inner leg of every pair of leggings I've owned. I was pacing two hours at the London Landmarks half and my leggings split in mile four. Pain, pain, pain. Being a two-hour pacer, I felt a duty to continue and the chafing stopped hurting after a while. I later learned that the blood was lubricated. Oh. That is disgusting. <laughs> That's a sentence you do not want to read. Oh. I learned that the blood was lubricating it. Nah. I ended up having to KT wrap around my thighs for the Boston Marathon later that month, which was obviously not great. Still have the scars five months later. Pics or it didn't happen right after the trip to the medical tent with blood on my leggings. That is horrendous. Yeah, keep scrolling down, man. Oh, my God. It's just red raw marks, like a couple of inches across on both. I mean, these are almost indecent photos, frankly. Yeah. It's not the crotch shots I, you know, I would usually ask for, but wow. Do you not, uh, do you not lubricate before a race, like not with blood? N- yeah, not with blood. With normal, like whatever people use, Vaseline or whatever. Well, I guess if the leggings are on, that's kind of what the leggings are for. To yeah, but I do know that if you have like, um, if your legs thighs do rub, you're just gonna rub straight through your leggings. Like people yeah. have that issue with jeans and stuff as well. You just get some. Get some lube on there, definitely. <laughs> there needs to be some kind of Kevlar reinforced leggings made. Yeah, there's like reinforced. Like I know that some people have this issue with jeans as well. There just needs to be some like reinforced patch on that area, doesn't there? <laughs> oh yeah, but thank you so much for those photos. Perhaps we'll share them later. Yeah, in the week. thanks. Love it. <laughs> Amy loves that shit. <laughs> Uh, I've got another email. Hi, Stuart and Amy. Thank you for your not bad podcast that's kept me company for the last few weeks of marathon training. I'd like to offer a token of absolute bullshit. 13 miles into an 18-mile run, mind-numbingly boring road run, my wife calls to ask how much further I have to go. Feeling pretty chipper, I say, only another five to go. I'll be home within the hour. Oh, she says, can you go a bit quicker? You need to go to B&Q. Sure thing, wifey. I'm only slow for fun. Now that you've asked, I'll definitely go faster. And with the reward of a trip to B&Q, I'll just sprint these last five miles. Non-running family members can be total BS. And she finished with a photo, just for us, of her very cute doggo scamp snoozing on the sofa. Cheers, Trish. That is like, uh, yeah, Freya does the same. Freya's like... Like, I'll, I'll go out and I'll be like, how long are you going to be? I'm like, oh, well, I'm doing a long run, so I'll be like, two, three hours. She's like, three hours? Can't you run it faster? Like, no. Just go quicker. <laughs> like, I know I'm a slow runner, but I don't need you shaming me as well. I've got people in the running world that would no doubt shame me about my, my time. So they go, you go, well, can't you do faster than like 11 minute miles? What's wrong with you? Not even for the opportunity of going to B&Q. Oh my God, I get that as well. Can you, oh, can you nip into Asda on your way home? Can you do this? Can you do a whole weekly shop? Like, no. Yeah, I'll just chuck it in the backpack, no problem. Yeah, I'm, I'm knackered. I want to go home. Also, it's not on my route and I've got to... No, no, don't get it. So let's head back to our interview with Jake. So uh, in terms of like um, your guide, do you also cover what happens on race day? So in terms of, or is that thinking, is that something you're thinking about as well in terms of the race day experience for non-binary runners? Yeah. Uh, so uh, right now, a lot of 
race day, a lot of the race day experience and the race day logistics are very gendered. So I like to, the, one of the things I talk about a lot is when you have announcers, um, you know, who are addressing the crowd, a lot of the time you hear people say, welcome ladies and gentlemen to the 45th annual whatever race. Um, how can we start to coach and or, you know, inform um, and educate the, the volunteers, the announcers, the people that are at the race, you know, day of to have more inclusive language, to, you know, have more inclusive practices. Um, because really in the end, it's the race day experience that the non-binary participants are going to remember. Um, I, one of the things I recommend in the guide and, you know, as I talk with race directors is, you know, currently when you have an upcoming race, typically a race director or an organization will send out an email or create some sort of resource that gives all of the participants the information they need, right? Like when and where are you picking up your packets? Um, what are the, what's the bus situation to get you to the starting line? Um, can you, you know, will there be a bag check? What sort of items can you bring to, you know, all those little details, we're already doing that. What I recommend is that race directors and organizations expand upon that and add some day of expectations for the non-binary participants. Because it's a new division, um, I recommend adding the information in such as, you know, how might you as a non-binary participant be quote unquote outed or, you know, how might your gender identity be made public race day? You know, if you were to place in the top, um, you know, three of your division, will you be asked to stand on a podium? Will your name be announced uh, along with your identity as non-binary? Um, you know, will you be listed in a results posting on your social media? How are the ways in which you and your gender identity will be made public? Because for some people, you know, I, I have to remind myself that like, I am so out and proud of my non-binary identity. Like I will scream it from the rooftop, but I know that there are people out there who are not at that point in their journey. Um, so how can we communicate those, those instances that might occur so that those who maybe aren't as comfortable with that can, you know, ask for an accommodation, right? Um, because I think we kind of have to navigate this to accommodate for the people like me who are out and, you know, proud and, and, you know, super loud about it, but also those who are non-binary, but maybe aren't at that point. Um, where's that middle ground and how are we accommodating for all those people? Um, and so that goes into, you know, just, you know, that's one of the many things that we can do to increase or to improve the race day experience. Um, you know, going back to your comment about like restrooms and changing facilities, like, how are, how are those spaces being created currently? You know, are, do you have just men's and women's restrooms? Do you have an all gender restroom? What are the changing room situations like? Um, and as you start to do this work, what you start to realize is that, yes, you're creating a more inclusive space and a more welcoming space for non-binary folks. But to that end, you're also creating a better space for the trans participants, for anyone in that event who is hoping to just be a part of a more inclusive and welcoming experience. Um, you know, it, it's not just something you're doing for the non-binary folks, like you're doing it for everyone at that event. Um, and I, to me, I think that's like the exciting part, right? It's, it's, it's affecting everyone in, in a positive way. Why wouldn't you want to start doing this work? So we've been talking a lot about races, but how do we also make non-binary runners feel more welcome in our running community, you know, local clubs and things like that? Mm, yeah. 
So I'm on the board of the Seattle Frontrunners. And when I joined the club, I saw a very white, cis, gay, men-centric community. And while I think that's wonderful, and I'm so glad that that group has found a safe and, you know, welcoming space, you know, as a, as a club and as an organization that is, you know, for and by the LGBTQIA plus community, how are you continuing the work to be more inclusive of all identities with, you know, underneath that umbrella? Uh, so I joined the board to really push for more um, inclusion efforts, you know, it was specifically for non-binary folks, but that, you know, it has to include trans participants, it has to include our BIPOC friends, um, you know, all those different identities that are currently being left out. How are we, um, you know, adjusting our, our bylaws and our constitution, which may have, you know, gendered language, or maybe it's using he, her pronouns throughout, um, how are our communications through our emails, social media, website, how is that gendered and how are we excluding from, um, you know, the other participants who maybe, you know, fall outside of that gender binary, right? So there's all these different things that, like I said earlier, it's, there, it's not like challenging complex ideas. These are very basic things. It's really just naming those things and bringing attention to the fact that, you know, these, for example, when I came in, the bylaws were super outdated. You know, they, someone just probably hasn't really looked at or, you know, realized that, hey, this is not, this could be better, right? So I, I you know, constantly am just voicing those different moments that I'm seeing or like, hey, that could have been written a bit more, you know, with a bit more, um, uh, with, with some inclusion in mind, right? Like that was very specific to a specific, or that was written for a specific community. How could have that been communicated um, you know, to, to address a larger group, right? Um, so yeah, it, it's really interesting. Like a lot of my work on the board and with Seattle Frontrunners has, um, is kind of where I started in like this advocacy work. And I feel like that kind of gave me the, the courage and the confidence to step into like the larger running world and start to advocate within these racing events um, because I had had this, um, you know, experience of advocacy on a smaller level within the club and, you know, within the organization. So have you got any more plans in terms of where you're taking your advocacy next? Is there, is there more work to do? There's always more work always. to do. <laughs> always. Um, but yeah, so, you know, the, the thing for me, right, was, was getting this guide out there. Um, and I think we, you know, it was super successful. It's gotten a bunch of coverage, you know, in articles and, and podcasts and, you know, on social media. Um, it is being distributed, you know, to all sorts of race directors and, and communities within the industry. Um, so I think, you know, the next step is, helping races implement the solutions in this guide, right? Because I think a lot of people will look at this guide or they'll start thinking about this and they'll, A, they're always afraid of making mistakes. Um, and B, they, they think it's a lot of work, right? They're, they're just like, where do we even begin? So I am, I am now kind of shifting my focus to, you know, communicating with race directors and, and, and providing my, my self as like a consultant or, you know, as a, as an additional resource to help take these solutions and start to implement them and bring them to life within these different races. Because the thing is, all of these races are unique. 
They all have, you know, they're in different parts of the world. They have, you know, different distances, different times of year, different, you know, amounts of participation. They're all so unique. And so that means that the solutions have to kind of be tailored to each of the events, um, which is what I hope with, when, if you read through the guide, you'll see that it's very, um, it's specific, but it's, it, it asks a lot of questions and sort of gets the, the reader to, to think about how these ideas can be kind of woven into their event. And that was very specific, or that was very intentional. I didn't want to be like, here's how you do this. Like you must check this box and then check this box. It's more of like, let's just start thinking about these ideas. Let's start having a conversation and, and reflecting on your event and how these solutions might take effect, um, you know, at, at that event. So um, to that point, now it is focusing more on the partnerships and, and making sure that race directors feel confident with this guide and with this information. Um, I had my first like official partnership with the San Francisco Marathon back in July um, and helped them implement their division and they named theirs the Non-Binary Plus Division. Um, but a super successful event. No one is going to get all of the work done the first, you know, for the first year. Um, so I really encourage those, those teams to, you know, send out surveys and get feedback and figure out what did we do well, what needs to be worked on, what did we miss, and how can we then incorporate that into the next event or the next year. Um, I am I am currently working with some other races and, you know, going to be announcing some additional partnerships in the future, um, but really starting to focus on what are those larger races out there, um, Chicago, Boston, that have either not started this work or have just barely begun, how can we help them to get to a place where they feel confident to do this because they have such a large following. If a race like Boston or Chicago can do this work, any race can do that work. Um, so I'm sort of you know, focusing my attention there uh, to, to um, you know, for the next step of, of this work or of this project. Well, speaking as someone on the committee of a club here as well, I love to hear that you've been rewriting rules because I've just spent months doing that and I get no feedback from it. So I'm glad to hear that other people are doing that kind of thing as well. Uh, personally, what I would really like to see, I know this this guide is based on races, but I'd love to see it linking to Ames' question about what we can do to improve for grassroots and community level clubs and things like that. Mm -hmm. I'm sure a lot of the principles are the same, but more specificity mm -hmm. on that. So if you could add that to your to-do list, that would be great. <laughs> Yeah, I'll just add it. I'll just add yeah. it onto the list. I'll get. I'll get well, to please. it. Thank you. <laughs> I think as well, like it's, it's it's something that you can see working across borders. Like, of course, you're in the US, but these are the same issues we're seeing in in the UK. You know, with the same thing. When you whenever you fill out a a race entry, it's male or female. You know, and they linked prizes and divisions and all that sort of thing. So it's. It's just so entrenched within the sport. It's going to take a, mm -hmm. it's going to take some work, like what you were doing, to sort of get people just even thinking. You know, some of our races are so old-fashioned here. We talk a lot about cross-country here, where women aren't even allowed to run the same distance as men. They had a non-binary runner signing up. I think their heads would just oh explode. God, I, I like, can't what, imagine what distance that. would we wow. make them run? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's you know that's the other thing too is there are so many. Um, governing bodies within sport, right? You know, in the US, we've got USATF, USA Triathlon. Um, you know, at a larger level, we've got like World Athletics, we've got the Inter International Olympic Committee. Um, 
And, you know, it's starting to get some of those governing bodies to start to also uh, support this work. You know, USA Triathlon is actually, they just announced that they're starting to create space for non-binary folks. Um, you know, we've got Running USA, we've got all these organizations in large groups that have so much influence over the industry. How can they continue to um, be advocates and, and, you know, kind of set the example um, I know that, you know, through this, I, I met a, a non-binary runner um, who had worked with Scottish athletics and they had done this work at the governing level, which is so exciting to see. Um, so to your point, it is happening around the world. Um, it is just, you know, a one of my goals is like, how can we build the community of like the non-binary advocates and athletes so that we can help each other um, and learn from each other and support one another? Um, but also, you know, also focusing to like on all those different levels of the industry to make sure everyone is, is stepping into the work. Do you want to ask the last question, Stuart? Oh, good. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so the final question we always ask our guests, what is the most bullshit thing about running? Uh, <laughs> a sport and divisions and, you know, um, events and day of experiences based on this foundation of gender. Um, through all of this work, I basically walked away with why is everything based on uh, gender divisions of men and women? Um, you know, so much of the industry has been built on that. And I recognize that for a long, long time, it was just a sport for men. And, you know, it, it took a lot of work and advocacy to get to a place where women also had a space. Um, and now we're kind of going through the same thing, right? Where we're trying to create space for non-binary folks. But what I'm starting to realize is gender, we know, at least within the non-binary community, that gender is a spectrum. Gender is not something you can place into two or three buckets. And so why do we have an industry that is trying to do that, right? Like, why is this industry trying to force people um, on a spectrum of identities into three boxes or a lot of the time, two boxes? Um, so I think one of the things that, you know, as, as we talk about what are the next steps, I'm also thinking to the future and how can we as a sport start to remove gender as a classification tool, as a way that, you know, to, to separate participants. Um, obviously, I can't walk up to a race director and say, hey, let's remove gender from your event because they will probably just like their mind will, you know, explode. Um, but I think by introducing non-binary divisions, it's, it's increasing the dialogue and the conversation about gender and getting people to realize that gender isn't just man, woman. It also involves non-binary folks, which is actually an umbrella of identities. And it's starting to get people to think in that way of like, wait, there, there are so many identities. Do we have to have divisions for all? But why can't we just take, gen you know, it's like just building these little um, steps, right? To like get to this, this place where we can maybe start to separate or classify participants based on their ability, right? Like why is gender a part of the equation at all? Why can't it be based on your pacing or, you know, your estimated finishing times? Or I, I don't have that answer yet. It's something that I'm, I'm kind of, throwing around in my brain right now. Mm -hmm. But um, I think that is that is the big next step is like, how can we remove gender? Because 
gender in, in running is bullshit. And um, I'm trying to get people to start to realize that by like, hey, non-binary people exist. Hey, there are more identities out there. Let's create space for all of them. Fantastic. So where can listeners go to find out more about non-binary inclusion in running? Yeah. Uh, so the my website, which has the guide, has all of the you know, um, coverage of articles and whatnot. Um, that's all at nonbinaryrunning.com. Um, there's a database there where I've started to put together a bunch of races around the world that have these divisions, whether it's a registration option or an actual division has been built out. Um, you can send me, my email is there. So if you know of a race that has these options and isn't listed, please send me an email and I will update the, the database. Um, and then I'm also all over, you know, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter at Jake Fedorowski. And that is, um, you know, I just finished off a series on TikTok of like going through the guide. It's 20, 22 videos, I believe, of me just talking through and doing like an audio visual experience for, for those who maybe don't want to read a guide, but watch and listen to me talk for 22 videos. <laughs> And lots of you singing on Instagram as well. Which I love. Also a lot, yeah, my background <laughs> is in, in theatre and singing and music, so you'll see a lot of that as well. So Yeah, come for, the, come for the non-binary inclusion, save for the singing, you know? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Jake. That's been really, really interesting, really eye-opening as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, thank you. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you. Have a, have a lovely rest of your evening. Oh, you know what? Jake and I, totally vibing there. I think they'll be super impressed when they hear our singing too. We're, we're all on the same kind of level, aren't we? <laughs> we are. All that, all that talent is just, it's very well yeah. distributed between us. They're going to be well chuffed. That's why I love their Instagram, because it's just like, okay, running stuff, non-binary running stuff, and then show tunes. It's great. <laughs> and then just some beautiful singing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. Just because they can. <laughs> so since following Jake on Instagram and also since that uh, interview we did as well, I've been doing some snooping to see if I could find any sort of information about non-binary inclusion in the UK. Because obviously Jake's based in the US and a lot of what they were talking about would be really useful in the UK as well. But I wanted to see if anything had actually been done so far. So apparently in 2018, UK Athletics published non-binary guidance for race organisers, which states that UK Athletics support and encourage race organisers who wish to include a third gender category. Uh, I'm not really sure how widely this has been put into practice though, because I know that when I sign up, um, and I'm trying to remember because obviously I don't, I don't click a, a third option. I, I tend to look for females as, as a cis female person. Um, but I'm pretty sure when I usually sign up for races, it's male or female. I can't remember there being a, a third option. Yeah, I feel like I would have noticed because I kind of look for that kind of thing, you know, doing this podcast and looking at these kind of things in the past as well. I feel like I would have seen it. I must have seen it sometimes, but it's definitely not normal. No, and, and it's interesting because I've been thinking about it since the interview. And I've been thinking, yeah, like, I think categories are important because in terms of when you're, especially when you're performing at an elite level, there are differences in terms of how Mm. um, men and women perform. Uh, But then I I think it is important to have a a third option as well as for inclusive. And it's sort of mirroring what we already see in a lot of things in in like workplace stuff. If If you're signing up for a job, you know, if you're applying for a job, a lot of the time it will be male, female, or sometimes it will just say other, or they'll go into more Mm -hmm. detail, like trans and binary sometimes. But sometimes it's just a third category that says other, and then they'll sometimes have a little asterisk and you can specify what other Mm -hmm. means to you. And I think that's maybe where things need to go. We just need to line up with what's already happening, because that's for 
equality and inclusion in the workplace isn't it we're, we're allowing people because i think yeah. you're putting non-binary people in a very sticky situation if you're saying right you need to identify as male or female to enter this race we just need a, a third category to sign up to you know yeah because i think uk athletics it's probably tricky because particularly most road races in the uk will probably be affiliated to uk athletics and I think at the elite level, really, own, male and female are the only categories that exist because that's at a world level. So mm-hmm. they kind of have to replicate that all the way down to grassroots because, in mm-hmm. theory, you know, any runner can go all the way up the scale to, you know, to be an elite runner. And I don't think there's... I feel like there probably isn't room in their structure for a third option because if you became an elite runner as a third gender option, I just don't know how that would work. I think mm. you would have to be put into one category or the other at that point. Mm. It's it's really difficult. I think it's just something that's going to take a lot of time to mm. to sort of evolve, and maybe it starts at a grassroots level, uh, and then in the future, you know, a few decades down the line, we will see more in terms of there being non-binary categories at a at a high level as well, at an elite level. The other person I'd recommend following on Instagram if you want to see things from a more UK perspective is at non-binary runner. Um, they don't they don't seem to do like a ton of activism in the same way Jake does, but their name is at non-binary runner. So you know that they're they're very much about right being there. vocal in that in that field. Yeah. Um, so I've noticed they've been entering races such as the Thorpe Park 5K, in a, which seemingly has a non-binary category, and they've actually come first in that category as well, which is interesting. Um, so yeah, so I tend to keep up with what they're doing as well in terms of what's happening in the UK. And I think it's just going to be something that's more in my mind now when I sign up for races. Like, is there mm. a, a third, at least a third option? You know? Yeah, yeah, something to keep an eye on, and something perhaps to you know, if you know race directors, you are a race director. Just something to keep in mind. Have a look at Jake's guide. Uh, mm. We'll put it on our website as well, so you can go and uh, link to it from there as well. Yeah. And also at a club level, you know, if your club's doing yes. events and they're not offering like a third option that mm. makes you feel like you're not being included, like speak up about it often. And we say the same things with, with trans issues or, or any sort of LGBTQ plus issue. Often the majority of people are straight, white, cis people that's more than likely going to be the person running your club. If you're having issues, tell them because they may not have even thought about it. You know, they may not have even considered things from a, from that sort of perspective. We, we had the same sort of conversations with black trail runners as well. So anything where you don't feel included, I think having a conversation can be the most useful thing because often I'm sure a lot of people who run these clubs would just put their hands up and say, oh, I hadn't thought of that. Let's try and work on that, you know. Uh, speaking of beautiful singing, Amy, give us a theme tune. Oh, God. <laughs> <coughs> so beautiful yeah we have news from our very own fair city of cardiff from wales online nude runner spotted at cardiff nature reserve sparks concern from some residents (laughs) amazing now actually this article is not the hatchet job i expected and instead of local residents lighting their torches and grabbing their pitchforks the two women who encountered a man running naked seem to be quite adamant that he has the right to be naked in public and people should just be aware that if they do see something like this it's totally legal i didn't know that i didn't know it was totally legal <laughs> yeah it's um yeah as long as you're not you don't have an intent to cause distress yeah which yeah, i guess it, it would be on the on the perceived victim to prove mm. you are totally allowed to be naked that's why there are things like naked bike rides and things like that yeah yeah, yeah. As long as your intention is good, you know, and he's just running around. And actually, this I expected the article, because it was online, to be like, look at this pervert, it's gross. But the two women who came across him are like, 
you know what, it's fine. He wasn't doing anything. He was just going for a run. I think as well, like especially for, for women, it's quite obvious when something's done in a perverted, sexualized way. Yeah. Not all nudity is sexual, you know? Yeah. I think they saw him twice and like the second time he was like calling their dog over to give the dog a stroke. <laughs> like it, it's very, like I spoke on the podcast, like, I think it was a year or so ago now, I think it's beginning of lockdown when I saw that guy like flashing and stuff. And like mm. that was very obvious, like a sexual yeah. thing. Whereas if I was to see someone just going out for a run naked, mind their own business, whatever, acting like completely normal, apart from the fact they're wearing no clothes, which isn't normalized <laughs> in society. I don't, I don't see the issue. It's very, it's very different, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was a really interesting article in that respect. Yeah, I'm not fussed about the dickheads who comment on local news, social media, because they are lost to us, frankly. They are seething in a pit of their own despair and bitterness. But <laughs> the final bit of the article I particularly enjoyed uh, said, according to a report by British Naturism in 2020, there are more than four million nudists nationwide. The organisation, which has more than nine thousand members. <laughs> Dot, dot, dot. A little bit of a disparity there, lads. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's millions. There's millions. How many How many members have you got? 9,000. <laughs> People who admit four, to being... There are not 4 million nudists nationwide. I know, I haven't done the research, I haven't done a survey, but there are not 4 million nudists nationwide. Can I just say, it sounds weird as well, but I would be more open to see... I, I feel like a nude runner is more acceptable in a nature reserve. <laughs> Yeah. Then if I saw them down like the Ely Trail or something, like if I went yeah, to a nature reserve, yeah, they won't run down the high street or anything. Yeah, if I was in a nature reserve, I feel like yeah, they're, they're warm with nature. Lovely place to be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in other news, a new fastest known time has been set for the Bob Graham Round by Jack Quenzel, knocking an incredible twenty-eight minutes off the previous record. So he was also not wearing a shirt. I think that was the whole way as well. Just didn't wear a shirt. Yeah. That's probably why not the time off, you know? It's more aerodynamic. Do you think it was? Do you think he would have... Perhaps he would have done better with a shirt on? Mm, well, according to this. <laughs> well, to be fair, 28 minutes, that's a big lump to knock off Killian Journey as well. Killian Journey always wears a shirt. Exactly. This is the... I swear, like, go back to sort of primary school level physics and thinking about aerodynamics and stuff. A shirt... Did you study topless men at primary school? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that teacher never worked there again, but <laughs> running around the playground with his top off. just to Let me show you. <laughs> just a reminder, Bob Graham round, 66 miles, 27,000 feet. Jack did it in 12 hours, 23 minutes. Oh, Jesus. That's disgusting. So, Stuart, what have you got coming up next? Well, I did actually sign up for the Infinity Running Lucky Dip Race, so Yay. I will be doing that. Um, other than that, nothing particularly in the next few weeks that exciting. You, I guess, just getting over a cold and maybe start yep. running again. Yep. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I was Boring. doing really well before I got this cold. I was like really on it, but yeah, I need to to get back on it. Hopefully, like, like I said, I've been waking up every day for the last four days. Like, oh, today, today I'm gonna feel better, and every day I'm like, I feel like absolute shit again. Um, and of course, yesterday was the ultra you didn't do, so that was good. You know what though? That was really lucky because I didn't do that ultra because of my Achilles. Um, and just like I couldn't train because my Achilles was so bad and my foot was really bad. Uh, but thank God I didn't or else I wouldn't have been able to do it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, shout out to Patreon Neil Denson, who finished third at that race. Wow. Only six minutes behind the leaders as well. So good for you. Yeah, well done. If you've enjoyed this bullshit, please visit runningisbs.com to see the show notes and links from this episode and the whole back catalogue, as well as links to our Patreon, merch store and social medias. This episode has been a fucking nightmare to edit. I just want to let everyone know. (laughs) Bye. Bye.
I love a bit of gin. 